0: day and i uh, uh, so thankful that the Lord has uh, brought you here. Um, yeah, I pray for dan i uh, uh, was in Nashville watching my incredible future MLB player grandson four year old Eli play, and uh, he was playing uh, baseball, and so it was so fun and uh, after I was, I was walking out, Dan called me on the phone and I said, "Hey man, how you doing and he goes he goes and seriously, and he wasn't joking. What day is it? And uh, he really didn't know. <laughs> he had just arrived. He'd been 30-plus. You, he, uh, you, if you've ever traveled like that, you really do lose track, especially if you go through multi-time zones. That's exactly what Dan did. And he goes, Tell it is Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday. And then we just kept our conversation going. So I do pray for Dan. And um, so uh, we, uh, especially in Lynn, uh, Lynn's mom passing and the Hesi ministers there, Dan was very close to Patsy Flowers, that was like a second mom to him, and so I'm thankful that, uh, but just a grueling schedule. We today are going to be talking about something called a a purpose-filled life, and um, what does that look like, and how do we get a purpose-filled life, and uh, how how does God give that to us? How do we get involved in that? Um, If you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 10, John chapter 10 verse 10. Jesus made it very clear. He said, the thief comes only. I don't know what Satan can promise us through this world, but if we go down a a dark path, a path of self-centeredness and indulgence, that is the thief's invitation. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus laid it out for everybody. I've come to... I have come that they might have a life and have it abundantly, and part of that is just an, a purpose-filled life where we live our life, and when we're at the end of our life, and we, uh, we know that God has used us, and we have, been, we, have, we have been part of His story. We have been part of His story. And I think that's the key is trading our little story in for his big story, as, as uh, I believe it was Andy Stanley talked about, um, what a wise thing to do. When I was down in uh, Murfreesboro for the b- baseball game, uh, there was a, over to the side, there was this huge Blue Angel plane, jet, that it was a memorial to a Captain Jeff Cuss K-U-S-S, and I walked over there, and I looked at his at the memorial. Uh, he the uh, the captain Captain Cuss had been um, training for the Blue Angels there right next to in Smyrna, and his plane went down, and he died, and left two children. And on there he had uh, a birthday, 1983, and then he had 2016. And then there was that dash in the middle. And it was on that plaque talked about how he had served his country in Afghanistan, how he had been a, a husband and a father. And it was just talking around. There were plaques and there were these, these words like honor and service and uh, excellence and all these things. Uh, there was the number six because he, he flew blue six. That was his, that was his blue angel plane. And it just hit me and reminded me that we can't do anything about when we were born. We may cooperate with God and extend uh, that second date on our gravestone. And we may be able to push it out a little bit, but we can do very little about that. But we can do a lot about the dash. And some of you have just kind of started, maybe the guys right here in front of me you know, you're kind of starting on that dash. We've got our, our younger children in with us today, and they're just starting on their dash, way little. And then some of you are starting forming your dash. All of us are at some place in the dash. My question is, will your dash reflect a life well-lived, or will you just survive? Will you just say, you know, I got by. I got a lot of toys. I remember, I remember once uh, my family went up into the mountains, and we went up. I think it was tree month. There was a creek running through it, and I had a brother, and my and I think my my neighbor was there with us. So it was three boys in a creek, and parents were somewhere. And we got it in our mind that we were going to build a dam on that creek and dam up the creek, right? And, and it was, so we sat there for two stinking hours. Because we had this idea, and we worked like crazy, people building this the, with these rocks. And I was sweating; it was hot. And My brother, he's five years older, and he—it was a good idea to him. So I'm just—I'm I'm just hired labor. I'm in there building it. And after about two or three hours, I remember my father came and says, "Boys, it's time to go home." And I remember sitting there t- looking at my uh, what at that, and I was walking away from it, going. I did not enjoy the day. I did not have fun. I did not know what I was doing. I would just work for two hours as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, ever how old I was, and my father said it's time to go home. May we not spend our lives in such a way as when our father in heaven comes and says it's time to go home and we've wasted our opportunity. That's what we're talking about today is how do we live a purpose-filled life. If you have your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, we see there's a story of a blind man and the story of Zacchaeus. We are going to look at this passage from two viewpoints today. One is the viewpoint of our need. And if you have your bulletin in, your your handout, if you'll just open that up, I've got some fill in the blanks for you. If that's helpful to you... That's great. I was a school teacher before I went in the ministry, and I just think it's sometimes if you'll just write just a few notes, it's helpful. So just take that out and look inside, grab a pen in front of you, and just, you know, fill in the blanks. If that's helpful, but it's, you know, there's not going to be a test at the end. But we're going to look at the viewpoint of our need, and secondly, we're going to look at the viewpoint from becoming like Jesus so that we can live a purpose-filled life. So we're going to look at these two passages, all right? Um... So, first of all, let's just read the text, and then we'll come and dive into it. It says, uh, again, in Luke chapter 18, beginning verse 35, it says, As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy On me, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. So at some point, this man had seen. He had eyesight, and he had lost it. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So we see the story of the the blind beggar. Now we see the story of Zacchaeus, chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, whereas in verse 35, he was nearing Jericho, in verse 1 of chapter 19, he now is entering Jericho, the city. It was passing through, and behold, there was a, a man named Z- 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 Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, as you, if you've studied and done background on these, tax collectors worked for the government. And the government says, you need to collect $100 per person. I'm just using this as an illustration. Well, he would go and say, you owe me 125 They didn't know how much. He, he just said, well, you owe, you owe me 150 When And all he had to do was go pay the Roman government 100 and he kept the rest. And people knew that, they, that tax collectors were known for this practice, and they hated them. Because they were one of their own, but they were very rich out of taking advantage of them. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he came down and received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, he was gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, i restore it fourfold. This was a reflection of the Old Testament law of when you offended somebody, you would not only give it back, but you would have to give it back plus some. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your word today, Lord, and we thank you for your, again, uh, inspiring it, thank you for uh, preserving it. And now, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate it. God, we stand before you, God. We place the the word of God here. We gather around it, and we ask that you would speak to our heart. Would it not be just an exercise of the mind, but would it be an exercise exercise of our heart? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The first fill-in-the-blank you have there is uh, if you have your, if you want to go that direction, and we're going to look at it from the viewpoint of our need. We must real, each realize our need for Jesus. We must each realize our need for Jesus. And what I think I like about these stories being back-to-back is on the one end, you have a blind man, and he seems to have no resources. On the other end of this spectrum... You have Zacchaeus, a very rich man, and both equally needed Jesus. You know, there's times you may come. We have individuals that come here to church, or you may be here this morning, and maybe you have an obvious need. Um, maybe you have something going on in your life that we all know about. You've had a, you know, something happen to your family. You've got, you're going through an illness. That's very obvious. Maybe you're more on that end of the spectrum, but maybe you're coming in here this morning and you've got a need that only you know about. You're hiding it deep in your heart. This was the Zacchaeus need. I mean, that morning they were all walking over because we heard this Jesus was coming by and they were all going, man, that guy's got it all. He's got it all. I mean, he's got the, all the nice things, but deep in his heart, there was something that drove him up that tree. Was his wife getting ready to leave him? Was there? Did he have a child that was in rebellion that he just didn't know what to do? Was there some kind of illness that he had not told anybody about? What was going on? It was a less obvious need, and you're here today, and you may have come now. Everybody knows my need, but you may be here today, and you're about to explode on the inside. You're about to whatever because you have this incredible need. We all have a need. And Jesus Christ is the one that can meet your need today. I have come personally into this room as a pastor and sat back in my normal place. And there's been time that I'm going, I've got it. I'm doing okay. But there's been other times that says, man, I'm about ready to run out of here because I don't, I've got something going on inside of my heart. I'm here to say whatever your need is, whether it's obvious or nobody knows what it is, Jesus is aware of your need and he can meet your need. But we all have got to cry out, have mercy on me. It all comes down to us crying out, have mercy on me. And if you're here today and you said, man, I think I've got it together, then you probably need to be the one to run to the front of the line and say, Lord, I think I've got it together. I think I'm doing all right. That's when we need to hit our face to the ground. The second one is we need to allow Jesus to find and meet your needs. As I read through and, and I've thought about the blind man and Zacchaeus, at first I began to focus on on, on um, their efforts. But then I found chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That blind man didn't just happen to be at the right place at the right time. Zacchaeus just didn't. Let me tell you something the Lord God knew exactly where Zacchaeus was going to be that day, and it was in his providence, in his sovereignty, even down to that tree being where it was. That tree had a purpose planted by Almighty God. You say, oh, you're being silly now. And I believe in the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, and I believe things are coming to our life, and God is the great orchestrator of uh, everything going on in our life. And if something is going on in your life, it is because the Lord Jesus is wanting to come by your life, and, and He is seeking and to save you and if you're here today and you're lost because you are not a believer, it is no accident that you are here today. You're here to this day to be challenged again to know that you are a sinner, that Christ died for your sins on the cross, He knows your name, and He is inviting you to come to Him today. And if you're here today and you say, But I am a Christian, I know the Lord. But you're right, I've got an obvious need or I've got a secret need. I'm here today, the Lord is passing by you and he's calling, he knows your name. He knows your name, he knows the hairs on your head and he loves you and he wants to meet your need today. You say, well, that's crazy, is he doing? That is how big our God is, amen? He really is. Allow Jesus to find your need, whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian. Number three, we must make the necessary effort to To know Jesus. Now, believe me, I believe in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Yes, you are saved by faith, not by works, but if you do have faith, it will result in works. When you make a commitment to the Lord and He changes you and you put that in, that is going to result in Commitment on your part, of a changed life on your part. We see here that the blind man had obstacles, it was his side. He overcame uh, that obstacle. And the, one of the obstacles was the crowd. The crowd said, Be silent, be silent. Zacchaeus, his, his obstacle was a physical one. He couldn't see, he could not see over the crowd. He had to overcome that obstacle. I don't know what your obstacle is. See, we're we're in one of two places. Hello. I'm making all kinds of sounds, aren't I? Maybe I'll put it somewhere else. We see the, I want to picture this up here as the crowd. You know, there's one up here as the the crowd. I want to get you picture this as the crowd, right? Keyboard over here, this is Jesus. This is you over here. This is us. This is the individual. At some point, we're all in the crowd. Man, we're right here in the middle of the crowd, or maybe we're over here to the edge of the crowd. You know, we all love the crowd. But for you to interact with Jesus, you've got to recognize that Approve it getting the approval of the crowd, getting the approval of the people around you, the, getting the people, the approval of people in your school. Because I used to be a tiger. See, I was the tiger and there was a flaming hoop and it was called people's approval. And I would jump through that flaming hoop as long as there was applause on the other side, because see, I love the crowd. But what I learned from a blind man and what I learned from Zacchaeus, they were willing to leave the crowd because they wanted to encounter Jesus more than they wanted to the approval of the crowd. Maybe you're here today and you say, Man, I love my crowd. I love my friend's approval. I like fitting in. You'll never encounter Jesus that way. You say, Boy, I'm glad these youth are listening to this. I'm glad these college students can hear this. Let me tell you something. How about us adults when we go to work in our neighborhood, in our family? Boy, I tell you, there's the gravitational force of the crowd, isn't there? In any age. But by the grace of God, He begins to draw us out of the crowd into Himself. And that's what we see. That we see we must make the necessary effort to know the Lord. Well, let's look at it from a second angle now. I want us to look at it from the angle. uh, uh, of Let's look at it from the viewpoint of our opportunity. I pray today that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and that you recognize that the Lord wants to meet your need. And again, if you're a non-Christian, he wants you to come to him and experience a new birth in Christ. If you're here as a, uh, as a believer in whatever your need is, Jesus knows that need and he wants to meet your need. But you've got to come out of the crowd and you've got to cry out, have mercy on me and let him. He wants to meet you. He, Jesus is the one to walk. He's the one that walked near Jericho. He is the one that decided to uh, go where uh, Zacchaeus was. And he is, he is walking by you today. But let's talk about from the viewpoint of, of our opportunity to live a purpose-filled life. The first one is take time to engage in the lives of others. What the amazing thing is, and this came to me as I was thinking about this later this week, is once I encountered Jesus, I've come out of the crowd. I've encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done a work deep in my heart. He does the craziest thing. He says, I want you to go back into the crowd." I want you to go back into the crowd with a new purpose. And that purpose is instead of jumping through flaming hoops for the approval of other people, I want you to go back into the crowd and share my love for the crowd with those around you. See, you can begin now to build relationships. You can begin to go back into those relationships and share about me. God causes us to go back into the crowd. And so, but it takes time. And this is the first one, take time to engage in the lives of others. Look up back at Luke chapter 18, look at verse 40. Chapter 18, verse 40, it says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Chapter 19, verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Let me tell you something. Jesus was busy. However, Jesus knew that he was called not only to a destination, but he was also called to the people along that destination. Let me tell you, some of you are called to go have a great career. And uh, to get that degree, to get that career, to, to, to get that, to become great in that sport, and, and, or to get that 401K. And those are all destinations that we're going toward. We need to go toward that 401K, toward that degree, toward that destination, toward, toward whatever we're going to. But along the way, see, Jesus was headed to a cross. He had a very distinct destination, but he was not so busy going to the destination that he missed the people along the way. And if we're not careful, we can get so occupied for, I want to get there. I want to do that. I want to be there. I've got to give my effort to get there. We miss the people that God wants us to minister to along the way. Each of us, I think, need to slow down. Second, we need to develop ears and eyes that recognize the needs of others. Look back at Luke 18. Look at verse 38. Beginning in verse 38, it says, And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David. And Jesus stopped and commanded him. See, Jesus stopped because he heard him. Guys, folks, we need to stop. We need to slow down and begin to open our ears up and begin to hear, hear what people are saying around us. We need to stop being so. Bi- we need to stop waiting to listen and start hearing. We need to stop waiting. Excuse me. What I mean, we need to stop waiting to be talked. That's what I meant to say. We need to stop waiting to talk. Where we were say, I just want to, I'm just, I'm doing here, I'm just waiting to talk. No, we need to start truly listening to those people around us. So Jesus heard the blind man. Look at chapter 19, verse 5. It says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. We need to begin only to listen like Jesus did. We need to start looking at the needs of other people. We need to open our eyes to see what our family members are really doing and what what our neighbors and the people maybe sitting uh, sitting next to us in church begin to really listen and begin to really uh, see what God's doing. Take your Bible and turn over to Exodus chapter 3. If we do this, then we are emulating God. Exodus chapter 3. I love this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. This is during the burning bush uh, incident with uh, Moses and God. Notice how God listens and God sees. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. God looked and he listened in the knees of others. But if we do this, you say, okay, Joe, I, I'm in. I, I, I want to begin to do this. I want to live a purpose-filled life. I want to be, begin to go back into the crowd. It's going to take three things. One, you can write these down. One, it's going to take heart to want to see and hear. It's, you're going to have to have a change of heart. God's going to have to cause. It's got to have a new heart. We've got to have the heart of God. We've got to change our heart. It's going to take a heart to want to see and hear. Two, it's going to take concentration to be able to see and hear. Man, we have got to concentrate on the needs of our the blind men in front of us or the Zacchaeus that are climbing that. We've got to notice when they do that. But three is going to take commitment to take action. Commitment to take action. Look down to verse 8 of chapter 3 of Exodus. What did God do when he saw the affliction of his people and he heard their cry? Look at verse 8. It says, And I have come down, I'm taking action, I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out to a land of good and broad place. Let me tell you something, we need to walk in the footsteps of God because here he came down and delivered his people out of Egypt and then Jesus saw that, and he came down out of heaven. And now it's our turn to be the body of Christ, to begin to hear, to see, and to take action. Third, we need to have unconditional love that changes lives. We need to have unconditional love that changes lives. Going back to chapter 19, I love this story. And, and, and again, we pick it up in verse 7. And so when they saw it, when they saw that he, Jesus had gone into the house of a sinner, went to Zacchaeus being his name, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? Let me tell you something. If we are getting our cues from the crowd, we're never going to minister the way God wants us to. But if we get our cues from heaven, we're going to begin to hear, see, and take action. And it will require us getting messy. You see, when you pick up your cross, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's messy. And when you get in, li- in the life, involved in the life of your neighbors and your friends and really hearing them and really listening in them, really watching what their needs are and begin to not wait to talk but now truly listen... God's going to call you to come down to come down from whatever comfortable situation we're in and to begin to minister and it's going to cause us to get messy. I love it in verse 5, five I love verse 5. It says, and when Jesus, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, "Zacchaeus, hurry, come down for these next words I love. I must I must stay at your house today because I have come come to seek and save the lost and his name is you. And I'm here to say that the Lord knows your name and he came to seek and save you and he and He, and he has that heart for you too. Would you bow your heads with me and I'm going to ask Kevin to come and just get ready for an invitation. Um, we've looked at this passage from two two viewpoints and as i've used that kind of crazy stage illustration i want to ask you where are you right now are you in the crowd trying to fit into the crowd and trying to get the approval of those around you or do you have a have mercy on me attitude where you're coming maybe you're here today and you don't know christ you say, well, man, that's embarrassing. I, I, I You know, to come and to receive Christ, that would be embarrassing. If you've got your eyes on the crowd, you'll never do it. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've got a need. I've got a deep need that nobody knows. Mine's like Zacchaeus and nobody knows it. Maybe you need to step out of the crowd and just say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm fighting an addiction. I'm fighting... I'm fighting materialism. I'm fighting the need to be approved by other people. I'm fighting this. Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you change me? Or maybe as we talked about the idea of, of going back into the crowd, it's been a while since you went back into the crowd. You're, you're, you're comfortable in your Christian life. Are you living a purpose-filled life? What's your dash look going to look like? Today, we're at a crossroads where we can begin to change our life and say, Lord, send me back into the crowd, filled with your Holy Spirit, filled with the gospel, filled with a message of hope and love. It is no accident that you are planted in 2019. It is no accident you are planted at your middle school, your high school, your college, your family, your neighborhood. But will we will grab the grace of Christ and begin to go back into those crowds. Father, as we spend time to ask your your role, Lord uh, your holy